Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around him, and the impact he empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. So, it's good to see you, and hello to those online as well. Um, So, if I asked you what would you like like an advent to, I wonder what you'd say. I was just thinking there, the story of our church waiting for a building is a pretty good um, picture of advent. Perhaps you might think of like the trees in winter. They're bare, seemingly dead, and nothing happening, but yet behind the scenes we know that there is. Um, Or maybe it's like children going on holiday in the backseat of the car asking, are we there yet, when all they see is motorway. Um, A a friend and colleague sent me a link to um, something that's called Tiny Advent Poems. They really are tiny, and I've seen a couple of them. I thought they were quite nice. So one of them said, um, Advent is the hush in the theatre between the house lights going down and the curtains going up. Or Advent is jigsaw bits still scattered, but you've pieced together the frame ground and sky. They're they're worth a wee look, actually. Um, So Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, and it means coming or arrival. I wonder what words then come to mind whenever you think of Advent. Words that pop into my mind would be ones like anticipation or expectation, waiting, hoping, longing, preparing. Advent is a time for us to prepare ourselves to celebrate the birth of Jesus, his first Advent. And Advent is also a snapshot of our preparing for Jesus' coming again, his second Advent. At the end of the Old Testament, it was Israel who was waiting and hoping for their Messiah. And now it is us, the church, we are waiting and hoping for Jesus, our Messiah, to return and to bring his kingdom fully. The promise for Israel and the church is Jesus Christ. The Lord has come to earth and will arrive again. This is the essence of Advent. And so today, we're going to look at a passage in the Bible which occurs just before the first Advent of Jesus Christ. God's people have been waiting and longing for a long time, like for generations, for their Messiah to come. And God is about to break into the human story again, after 400 years, to continue putting in place his salvation plan for the world. So if you have your Bibles with you or on your phone, I'd really love you to read along with me. Uh, We're going to Luke chapter 1, and we're reading from verses 5 to 25. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw it, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. 
Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Amen. And Lord, would you just take your word? Would you help us to understand it as we think about it now? Would you speak to us and would you bring us closer to you in Jesus' name? So Luke takes us further back in this story than the other Gospels do when it comes to the story of Jesus' birth. Between the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament, there have been 400 years approximately. So that's 400 years of silence, 400 years of no prophecies, and that's actually just signified in your Bible by a blank page. And there's also been those 400 years of great change for the nation of Israel as well. At the end of the Old Testament, they're under Persian rule, and by now they're under Roman rule. There's been division in society, division within families, there's been a turning away from the faith, and there's been persecution. And seemingly, nothing from God, although we know that God has been alive and preparing and working behind the scenes. God's people knew the covenant promises of God to Abraham, And Luke's opening chapter tells us that there are still those who are hoping and waiting for the Messiah. There's still those who are remaining faithful to their God. For example, if you see in verse 10 there, it talks about worshippers still gathering to worship worship God. So Luke tells us that Herod, that's Herod the Great, has been installed as king over Judea at this time. And then with that, just to give us the geopolitical situation, we zoom in to the story of a couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah is a priest and Elizabeth is also from priestly descent and at this time it's estimated there were maybe 18 to 20,000 priests in Israel and the priests were then divided into 24 divisions. That's what it means whenever it talks about in verse 5 um, about um, Elijah, or not Elijah, uh, Zachariah being part of the division of um, Abijah. So he was in one of those divisions. Then each of these divisions then served two one-week slots throughout the year on a rotating basis. And then within that, they were divided by lot to see who would offer the incense in the holy place for the morning and the evening sacrifices. Priests might not offer incense more than once in their lives, and some would never get the chance So we meet Zachariah here at the high point in his service as a priest. Divinely chosen, he would go in with the other priests. 
He would get into the holy place, but they would withdraw and leave him alone to offer incense. This is the time chosen for him. And we know the story, but let's put ourselves in his shoes. Like, he has no idea what's about to happen. Like, it's a pretty high moment for him, but he still doesn't know that it's about to get better. He's no idea. Um, Elizabeth is a descendant of Aaron, who was the first high priest way back. Um, so Zachariah and Elizabeth are part of a bigger story of God's people, dating back to the time of Moses and Aaron, and then before that to Abraham. We're told that they're both righteous, blameless before God, walking in his ways. Not that they never sinned um, or done wrong things, but that they lived above reproach. They lived morally pure lives. They were approved by God. As one commentator says, the, the couple faithfully and consistently obeyed God. So what we read next is not what looks first readers, or even us if we were reading this for the first time, would maybe expect to hear. You'd expect to read about how then they'd been greatly blessed by God and that all was well with them and their family. But no, this couple had a tragedy in their lives and they had known great pain because they had no children. And to top it all off, they were both very old. So there was no chance now. And at that time, childlessness, childlessness sorry, was seen as a reproach, as a disgrace even, even as a punishment for sin in that culture. And we, we get a glimpse from Elizabeth at the end of our passage, like if you look in verse 25, that she had indeed known disgrace among the people. She had obviously carried shame about her situation for years. But we know that their situation cannot be explained because they were walking sinfully, because Luke has just told us that they were walking in God's ways in spite of their lack. And if we think about it, we can probably all imagine their pain, their disappointment, their frustration, their sadness. But what I love about their story is that they hadn't walked away from God, they'd stayed with him, and they'd walked in his ways. And we can all possibly relate to Zechariah and Elizabeth, can't we? Life has not turned out as planned. We do not have what we long for. We have been disappointed. Their story, your story, my story, that's real life. Even for the people of God, life does not always go in the way we think it should. And no, although I have no children, I'm not childless in the way that Zachariah and Elizabeth were in terms of a couple longing for a child. But like you, I do know what it's like for life to not be as you'd hoped or thought in other areas and to experience pain in that, to not have what you longed for. You see, part of my story is that I am single. I have left my 20s and my 30s behind, and that's not what I thought my life would be like. I had thought and hoped and expected that I would be married by now, like maybe 10, 20 years ago, but that has not happened yet. Like Zachariah and Elizabeth no doubt did, I have prayed for years. Others who love me have prayed for years about that prayer with me, about me meeting a godly life partner and building a kingdom marriage. And at times there have been glimmers of hope, only for things not to then work out as hoped. And so today I'm still living in that space between hope and fulfillment, which is actually quite a good picture of Advent. And like Elizabeth and Zachariah, there's no obvious reason why that prayer should not have been answered. It's a mystery. So what do we do with that? Like, what do I do with that? What do you do with your unfulfilled longings, your unanswered prayers? Do we walk away from God in our anger and frustration and disappointment that he hasn't done our will? Do we take matters into our own hands because we think God is clearly taking too long and he obviously hasn't hurt us? Or, going back to the Syrophoenician woman even a few weeks ago who Andy spoke about from our talks in Mark, do we instead actually not take offense? 
and instead stay put with God and press into him in it. And through God's grace and strength and the help of good friends and many in this lovely church community, that's what I've been learning to do in that particular area. Yes, in the past I did try to fix things myself and that didn't work very well. And I'm not saying um, to be inactive in a longing situation, but what I am saying is that I have found that it's always best to lay it before the Lord, to seek him and to see what he has for you in it. And I would really say to you, if you haven't done this at all, especially if you haven't done it at all, and even if you have, like go to him with your pain, your disappointment, your tears, your anger. He can actually take it. I have done that several times with him and he still loves me. He knows anyway. So like pour your heart out to him, like grieve it with him in his presence. And then you start to discover that he is the God of comfort, that he knows and understands and he can give you peace and grace in the waiting. God's heart is that we would be close to him. He wants to be close to us. I mean, that's the story of Christmas after all. And yes, Um, the longingness that can still be there and it will still be painful at times but it almost becomes instead of being a master it becomes like a companion and I find that our wonderful God brings you to a point where you're still longing yes but you're also fully living and not getting stuck in your pain and disappointment and I don't know if my prayer that particular prayer or yours will be answered in the way that I or you want but what I do know is that I can totally trust God with my life and my longings and he will do what is best for me even if it's not what I originally thought because I put my life in his hands then today the way things are even though it's not perfect is his best for me at this time and I can say that his way is perfect last Sunday if you were here we all sang these lines from a couple of songs that Isaac led us in Um, The first was from the um, hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, and the first verse had these lines, Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And from the song, Graves into Gardens, we sang, And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. And it goes on to say, And there's nothing better than you. Do we actually mean it? Like often when when things don't go our way and whenever we're not getting what we want, that's when we see, do we actually mean things like that or not? Surely all our longings and desires are a picture of our soul's deeper longing and desire for God. They all point to our greater desire, even for people who wouldn't be able to name it, that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of all our hopes and longings. They all are a picture of that. They're all met in him. And because we have him, if we have trusted him with our lives, then we can still live full, satisfied and hopeful lives in spite of everything. And I say that because what I've found, what I'm finding. And so my heart for you this morning is if you can resonate with that at all, with my story or Elizabeth or Zacharias, or you can imagine what, put your own circumstance in there, like that you'd come to God, that you'd come to the feet of Jesus, that you'd let him in in your pain, your unfulfilled desires, that you'd let him comfort you, that you'd let him bless you. And there's going to be opportunity at the end for you to do that. And I'd really encourage you to be brave and to do that. Some of Luke's readers, maybe at this point of the the account, would be thinking perhaps um, like similar stories from the Old Testament maybe coming into their minds. Um, Many great people were born of women who had been childless for a long time. You might think of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Samson and Samuel. So perhaps their ears would have pricked up thinking, huh, I wonder what God's really up to here. Um, in, I read this in a book I was rereading again recently and I think it's really good. Charles, Charles Spurgeon once said, 
that when a jeweler shows his best diamonds, he sets them against a black velvet backdrop. The contrast of the jewels against the dark velvet brings out the luster. In the same way, God does his most stunning work where things seem hopeless. I love that. So good. And it is a dark time in Israel's history where we read here, and it has been for many years. And there's been darkness in Zechariah and Elizabeth's lives as well. And both situations could be described as having elements of hopelessness, or so it seems. So in verses 10 and 11, Zechariah is on duty as priest to offer the incense. The people have gathered outside to pray. To pray. And while Zechariah is in the holy place, an angel, Gabriel, appears to him with a staggering message. Zechariah clearly didn't expect this turn of events because we read um, in verse um, 12 that he was startled and gripped with fear. Like that word for fear means like he wanted to run um, type fear. Um, And like other times whenever um, an angel of God visits a person with a message, his first words to Zechariah are, do not be afraid, Zechariah. And Zechariah is then told why he shouldn't be afraid. And it's because his prayer has been heard. Do you believe your prayer has been heard? I believe that God has heard and taken note of mine, all of mine. Of that I have no doubt. And it's also true of the prayers that you have prayed. They've been heard. The Bible speaks a lot about persevering in prayer. So let's keep praying. Let's keep bringing those desires before God. And keep bringing your requests before him. Here, as elsewhere in Luke, Acts, Acts being the other book that Luke wrote in the Bible, prayer is a prelude to divine revelation. Hearing, God speaks and acts. This is still the case today, and this is still our God today. So what was the prayer that the angel refers to? Um, Given that Zachariah was old, his prayer was likely at this particular point when he was in praying and offering incense was likely to be more focused on the hope and longing of the nation of Israel for a Messiah. But I also believe and I'm pretty sure that the angel was also referring to prayers that no doubt had been prayed for years by him and his wife Elizabeth for a child. But I imagine he had actually given up believing that God would give him and his wife a child. But I love this because it shows that all the prayers we pray are not forgotten. And in a moment of pure grace and compassion, God intervenes in the story of his world to answer the prayers of a faithful childless couple, as well as those of the nation. The Lord had not forgotten. In fact, Zechariah's name means remembered by Jehovah. I love God's heart for the couple, which which is expressed through the angel that first and foremost, this child, John, will be a joy and delight for them. I think that paints a beautiful picture of God's story. And yes, he sovereignly governs the world affairs that he is bringing to his desired end. But he also cares for the one. He cares for the individual. He cares for the couple, the family in the midst of it all. Weaving their story and yours and mine into his bigger story and purposes. It's like Zachariah and Elizabeth's story is one of the threads in the bigger tapestry and our stories too in the hands of a loving God are also used in the bigger picture and I think that's amazing. The angel also says that many will rejoice because of John's birth. So it's not just going to be a joy for um, Elizabeth and Zachariah. He's going to be a special child. The angel tells Zachariah who John will be and what his mission will be. He will even be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. The significance of his life and God's plan is huge. If you look there through verses 14 through to 17, 
He's going to be used to bring people back to the Lord God. He's going to go ahead of the Lord. The Lord is going to use John and his message to prepare people for what he's going to do. And we know that to be in the sending of Jesus. Luke um, tells us that the angel says that John's going to go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Um, Elijah's ministry back in the Old Testament, you can read about it in sec- uh, no, First Kings, um, had the miraculous about it, um, but it also had, uh, he also had a powerful proclamation of who God is. He was bold in challenging sin. For example, you may the, remember the story um, of Ahab and Jezebel, and he was powerful in calling God's people to return. John's coming fulfills the prophecy way back in like Isaiah 40, which I'd love you to read later. And even he's the messenger referred to in Malachi chapter three. And in turning people back to the Lord, we're told also that it's gonna result in healing within families, as well as bringing people who have wandered from God's ways back to his wisdom and ways, and that's in verse 17. So this also fulfills a prophecy from Malachi chapter four, which talks about um, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. And it's still true today. Um, God having come in Jesus means that a reconciliation between us and God means there's a way between, for reconciliation between us and others because it involves the heart which God makes new. And the angel ends with the phrase that God will use John to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, a people ready for Jesus' coming for his advent. And this is what John did. If you read on and look, for example, he was faithful um, for, to the task set to him, set for him. So advent today is typically a time of preparation, um, whether it's preparing practically um, for the Christmas celebration with decorations and food and presents, presents, but it's traditionally also a time of waiting and even fasting. By taking the season of advent to prepare our hearts, our inner world, and not just our outer world, we can be truly prepared, I believe, to truly celebrate whenever Christmas Day comes. So, like, what if we did that? What if we didn't just rush, rush, rush over these next two or three weeks and suddenly we get to Christmas Day and we're like, all right, so what are we celebrating here? What's going on? Like, what would happen if we did prepare ourselves in this time of waiting? Like, might we discover that our hearts are prepared for the Lord to truly marvel afresh when it comes to the 25th of December at his gracious gift to us in Jesus? Might we even move through these next two or three weeks more peacefully with the right perspective on things? I think so. If you're getting our Advent Daily Bible verse, for example, that's a great way to do that extra wee bit of preparation and use it to ponder on and ask the Lord to speak to your heart through it. Like you could read it in the morning and the midday and and evening. There are loads of other devotional apps and stuff for Advent. Um, Or how about just taking Luke chapter one? It is such a beautiful story, actually. And reading like a section each week over the next two or three weeks, and you'll get to reread it maybe two or three times and ask Lord to prepare your heart and speak to you as, as you read it. You will not regret that extra time given over to preparing your heart before, for God. Like, I would love it that it could be said about us here in BCV that this year we could be called the people who are prepared for our Lord, that that would be said of us. Traditionally, the first two weeks of Advent are actually given over to thinking about Jesus' second coming and the last two weeks of Advent to his first Advent. Today, we are still in the second Advent um, and we have time to prepare our hearts for Jesus' second coming. 
If the events of Jesus' first advent are recorded and those prophecies came to pass, we can be sure that what the Bible says about Jesus' second coming will also come to pass. I mean, Jesus spoke about it lots himself. You could even, for one example, go to Matthew 24 where he talks about telling people to be ready because the Son of Man, that is Jesus, is coming again. And like our celebration of Christmas, we are to be full of hope and expectation and readiness for that day. The advent leading to Christmas mirrors our time now waiting for Jesus to return. And therefore we're to use that time so that we would be a people for, ready for him when he comes again. And if you haven't already, the first step um, to being prepared for that is saying yes to Jesus. Saying yes to what he did for us by coming to earth, living, dying and rising again. It's saying no to writing your own story going your own way, which the Bible calls sin, and instead choosing to be involved in God's story. Firstly, by saying no to your sin, like turning away from that, and then like John, the the baby that we're reading about, like his message was saying no, like turning away from that and turning towards God your saviour, committing your life into his hands and walking in his ways with his help. And then the truth of Jesus' second advent will increasingly be a reason to hope and expect and to continue to allow God to prepare your heart for his return. And if you would like to do that, any one of the leaders or any of the prayer ministry team up here at the front would be so delighted to be able to, to talk with you about that and pray with you about that. Back to the story, and in verse 18, Zechariah brings us back down to earth with a bump. He asks, how can I be sure of this? My, I am an old man and my wife as well all in years. I mean, I'm not sure I would have reacted any differently. Like he's saying, Lord, I'd like to believe this. Like, I want to believe this. This sounds amazing, but I just can't see how it could happen. Like he reminds the angel that he and his wife are well all in years. Like, don't you know, this is just not physically possible. Zachariah looks at his circumstances and he finds it hard to believe. But as the angel asked Abraham and Sarah, generations back who were also in a similar situation, being elderly and without a child, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Gabriel tells Zachariah who he is, and although it sounds unbelievable, he invites Abraham to believe. Gabriel tells Zachariah that this is indeed good news. The word used there is good news. That's the word for the gospel, for them and for Israel. And actually, Zaya gets an answer to his question about how he's going to be sure of it. Because the angel gives him an immediate sign that this actually will happen. And that is that he's going to be silent until the day John is born. And this will be a sign to Zechariah that as surely as that has taken place, so surely the, other, the angel's other words will come true at their appointed time. The Greek word used there for time is kairos, and it has the meaning of like just the right moment. It's used in other places in the Bible as well, just the right, things happening just the right time. God is carrying his plan out according to his timetable, not the timetable of his people. And although things may not happen, and we all know delays in our answers to prayer, or even sometimes from answers from our own fellow human beings, God does things at just the right time. He's sovereign and he won't be rushed, rushed just because we are in a hurry. I love the, the promise um, or the statement in Ecclesiastes 3.11 where it says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. That's everything. Including the timing of answers to our prayers and the answers themselves. He can be trusted to do all things well. 
He is writing his story beautifully and with the right timing of events. And we know that this sign for Zechariah came about because we read that he came out of the temple and tried to speak to the people to, um, as he would be wanting to bless them and he couldn't do it. So Zechariah must be left thinking, well, if this has come true what the angel has just said, well, maybe I can be sure that these other words will come true. Zechariah, when in silence for all of those months, will have had time to contemplate the angel's message and grow in faith. And we actually see that if you read on in Luke 1, you will see that when he is able to open his mouth again, he comes out with one of the most beautiful songs in scripture. Zechariah, righteous as he is, needs to learn that God will forgive Uh, fulfill his purposes when he sovereignly chooses to act. And isn't that the lesson that we have had to learn, that I've had to learn? Indeed, maybe we're in the middle of learning it again now. This part of the story wraps up pretty quickly. Zachariah leaves the temple, his duty is done, and as the angel foretold he cannot speak, the people rightly assume that he has seen a vision. Zachariah goes home, and after a time, Elizabeth becomes pregnant, just as the angel had said. So this part of the story um, ends with Elizabeth. She becomes pregnant and we're told she remains in seclusion for five months. We don't know why, it's not told, and and there are many um, guesses at why um, in commentaries that you read, but I'm not going to go into that for this talk. Whatever the reason was, Elizabeth seems to have received God's unexpected gift and blessing with openness and thankfulness, not with unbelief like her husband initially did. The story opened with Elizabeth feeling disgrace and shame because of her situation, but it ends with joy and the Lord showing her favor. And another word for favor is grace. And the beautiful thing is that John's name means the Lord is gracious. Neither of them could have known what God had up his sleeve for them. They had no idea. But I believe they got to see it because they chose to stick close to God. They chose to be faithful to him regardless. So who can tell what God has planned for your life and mine, despite what the current circumstances may look like? Let's not miss out on it by running from him, and let's run to him, because the Lord is gracious and will always be gracious. Zachariah and Elizabeth's story reminds us also that surely, also that God does not forget his people. He does not forget his promises. And he includes our humble stories in his bigger story of salvation. It may only be when we get to heaven that we see the whole, like, tapestry of history rolled out. And then we see the thread of our own story and how it's been woven into the grander scheme. I think we're going to be blown away. And then we'll fully know and we'll get to see the reason for the delays and see how our disappointments have been written into the bigger story by his loving and sovereign hand. This is our hope as the people of God. He is over and in control of the events that have and the events that have not happened in our lives. And when we see him, when he comes again, all our longings and desires and expectations are going to be caught up and totally satisfied in him. That is the hope that we have. God's story here on earth will have a beautiful ending, only, of course, for it actually just to be a new beginning. So as we wrap up, I'm just going to ask you, so what, what has been sticking? What's, what's caught your heart today as we've talked through this passage? What's sticking with you? Like What, what, what is God prompting at or, or poking at even in a really gracious way? I would just say, like, Don't ignore those promptings because they're his invitation to let him in there, to let him into that place. 
And I'm just going to, just as we finish, I'm just going to ask that we would stand and we're just going to be silent for a couple of moments and ask the Holy Spirit to speak comfort, to impress upon our hearts just whatever he wishes to do. Um, And I'm actually, just as we silence ourselves, I'm actually going to read out the Advent Bible verse for today because I think it's pretty appropriate. I will remain, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So Holy Spirit, will you come? We just so welcome you. Would you just come? Would you minister to your people? God, we invite you into our pain and into our longings. And we declare afresh that we trust you and we love you and we know that you do what is best, that you are a good God, that you're always good. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.